This is the This is the This is the Brain This is the Brain Language This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Language Podcast, where we discuss NLP concepts to help you in your business and personal life. I'm James Lusk. And I'm Susan Stageman. And today, James and I, James is back for this episode, and we're really excited to have him. I know some of you have let me know that you really enjoy having him on, and he's more available now, so we may be hearing more from him, and we love it. Don't we, James? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so grateful and thankful to hear that and, uh, and for you to have me back on the show. Great. So this is, I believe, episode 66. And today I thought it would be fun to talk about the belief installation procedure, the one that is used on the timeline. I actually teach it at the practitioner level, and it's a great little process and I thought we'd start by talking about, you know, how why it's difficult to make changes and how beliefs, you know, are involved in all of that. So, James, do you want to take it from here? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Susan, but I feel that that's a very big part of NLP in general. It's just about making changes in the pursuit of excellence and really just kind of designing the life that we want. Does that seem right to you? Yes, absolutely. And what I love about NLP that a lot of models of change, human potential models don't address is that it deals with people as a system, you know, that we're in a system, we are a system, we make changes in a system, a system has when it updates itself, or is self managed, obviously, and self organized. And to change one thing, something else has to change or something else has to change for us to make a change. So it addresses an individual and what has to happen on all their neurological levels, not just say at a behavior level, which is a lot of times where people are focused on making changes in behavior. And that's why it's so difficult for a lot of people to make changes. They have every positive, good intention about doing something different the next time. And they even may practice it. They do role playing and all that kind of good stuff. And yet when they go to do it again, it's not so easy. So what are your thoughts on that? What is so difficult about making changes? Oh, I think we could talk a long time for that. You know, it really depends on the change too, that we are trying to implement, right? And, you know, the motivation of our change can come from different different things like something is so painful or it's you know maybe we're overweight and we're starting to have new pains as a result of being right. overweight or maybe a health scare um so that kind of drives us toward change or there's something that we want really really bad uh maybe it's saving for a new car or a new home so i think it really depends on that so you know some of those changes are seems like the most difficult with regard to making dietary changes or financial changes, trying to save money, spend less in the pursuit of that big purchase, or make some dietary and health changes. And then there's some lower level changes. Like for instance, I've actually just gone through, I I don't want to say it's a bad habit, but I wanted to basically spend time away from coffee. I've got a long standing run. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a I've had a long standing relationship with coffee. Um her and I go way back and my wife's okay with it. In fact, she loves coffee too. <laughs> but uh, I I kid you not, Susan, for the last year, I've tried to quit drinking coffee. And I've just been totally failing at this and just not not very successful with it. I've gone maybe a day And there's a couple of things I think is one that I don't feel like I have to quit it. I don't really have any pain to move me away from it. And there's just, I just wanted a break. You know, there's a couple of different little articles that made me want to give it a try to stop Mm -hmm. drinking coffee for a while. And uh, I've had, I mean, I'm not kidding. For about a year now, I have tried to quit and I've had the toughest time. And I did something to actually get me over the hump and we could we could talk about that later because I don't want to okay. derail us too much. Maybe we'll leave a an open loop, if you will. But yeah, so change 
can be difficult from something as small as wanting to stop drinking coffee to something as large as making some big dietary changes to avoid health problems. Sure. One of the things that over the last 35, it's actually been more than 35 years that I've been working with people, consistently people want change around money, making more. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about money is that, and this is what makes it difficult, is people think that making more money is going to solve their problems. And it's not because what happens is they get a raise or they get a windfall. And what they do is they go spend it. You know, they expand into their new income, so to speak. And I think it's interesting that one of the things that has to change with people is their relationship with money. And that's really at a belief identity level. It is not behavioral. You know, you can learn to save more. Yes, but that's a behavior. There's all kinds of, you know, we could probably even do a whole episode on money. I think we've done one, but we might want to revisit it because things have changed in the U.S. economy anyway. And a lot of people are feeling the pinch. So that might be something we can address. The other thing is relationships. How how do I relate to people? How do I relate to this a person? And sometimes it's an intimate relationship. Sometimes it's a employee-employer relationship. They're all rela- sometimes they're family relationships, but oftentimes people want changes there. Or like you say, in health, those are, I think, the three big, huge areas that people want to make changes in. And they are sometimes, as people find out, they're really difficult. So the point I want to make in this first area is that a lot of times people find it difficult to make changes for one reason or another, and mostly because they're focusing on changing a behavior at a behavioral level, and a lot of behaviors aren't caused at a behavioral level. So let's address number two. Right. So are you basically saying that a lot of times the difficulty in trying to make a change comes from a deeper level, like our belief or identity, not aligning with the change that we want to make? Yes, or not supporting. Oh, okay. Okay. So it may not align or it may not support. You know, we have beliefs that disenfranchises and some, some of them are very unconscious and people wonder why they keep hitting the lid of their jar is how I describe it. Mm. And they keep ending back in this, you know, keep circling around and ending up in the same place back to square one. And they wonder how that keeps happening. It's because they have beliefs that A, aren't aligned, or I would say it's not so much beliefs that are aligned, but values aren't aligned Mm, and beliefs do not support, or they even may go against what a person wants. And so that's what makes beliefs so important when making changes is you have to know what what do you believe? And I can remember, James, back in the old days, I got into NLP because I somehow intuitively understood that in order for me to get out of the money rut that I was in, something was fundamentally going to have to change in my psyche, that this wasn't a matter of just going and getting another job. And I actually, I could have, I was actually doing an art and decorating business and not doing very well. But somehow I instinctively understood that there must be something inside of me that is not supporting what it is that I want. And so that's what launched me into my NLP career. And I kept thinking, if I just see more customers, if I just do this, if I just do, and nothing changed because the beliefs were unconscious to me. I wasn't aware. And I would say, oh, I believe that I can make a lot of money. Well, there's some really problems linguistically with that, but I was (laughs) young and ignorant and didn't really understand that. But beliefs are very important when it comes to making changes. Okay, I see. And so beliefs and values, are they pretty closely knit when it comes to making changes? 
I think they are. And I think that Robert Diltz would agree with me. He's done quite a bit of work with beliefs and values and how they're intertwined. He actually, on his neurological levels model, he has beliefs and values of the same level. Now, I think that sometimes values, they're at a a slightly higher logical level, but I'm not going to argue with him or anybody else about it. They do affect us. So say, for instance, you know, people, here's, here's another thing. You mentioned health. People will say, oh, I just think health is so important now. That's how you get people to, you ask them, what's important to you about health? And they'll tell you, and that gives you a sense of their values. Sometimes they'll even tell you what they are. Hmm. Uh, what's important to you about making money? What's important to you about relationships? And you can often tell by the answers to those questions that guess what? They're not valued as much as they think they are. And what's really interesting is that, you know, some people will think that they value, say, health, but when you look at their behaviors, their behaviors don't align with it. So what's true? Is it that they don't value health or they do value health? Well, it just depends. And of course, I think a lot of this is analog. It's not digital. I don't think that people value health or not value health. I think that if you have a value of health, it can be analog. You know, you can do a few things or you can do a lot. But when you're doing comparisons, which we like to do, people who value health are a lot more focused on exercise, eating right, you know, those types of things, getting enough sleep, things that, you know, the scientific community or the medical community deem as really important for overall health and well-being. But somebody else can believe that they value health, but not do nearly as many. They may exercise and they may, you know, sometimes eat well. (laughs) Right. But it's not a full-time job. So values, and what's really interesting about values too, is you can have two people with quote unquote, the same value, but they do very different behaviors. That kind of tripped me up a lot on, uh, you know, when I was dating, I was looking for someone that had the same values. Well, values are in a hierarchy anyway. So, you know, some people may have their list of five and they may be similar, but they may be in a different hierarchical relationship. So people will butt heads around what, how they're behaving. So that's, that's another thing that makes values important, you know, and values will organize, I think, our beliefs. Yeah, I think you said it best. And that was where I was going to go with in your uh, analogy of the, like the dietary health focused person is that it is a hierarchy. And so while it's not like lights on, lights off binary. So while I may value health, I may value indulgence into delicious food a little more than I value health, right? So sure, uh, and that could be part of the issue if, if I'm trying to make that change to eat more health, shall we say, conscious food. I'm doing air quotes, which you you can't you can't hear my air quotes, but I'm doing them. <laughs> <laughs> so so great. Okay, well. Let's dive into some of the in tools, or maybe what are some of the important tools you think are available for facilitating a change? Well, I think there are five of them. Obviously, you want belief and belief systems because beliefs run in packs. Generally, you don't have one belief around money. You don't have one belief around relationships. You have a system. So you have to have beliefs that support or systems that support the change you want to make. Timeline is another great tool in NLP that allows a person to look at their past personal history as it's lined up. You can see where there are places that don't support what it is that you want, or you can see places where there's doubt, as well as experiences that are going to support you in getting what you want. Then there, obviously, you as a system, you want to understand you as a system and understand that everything that you do or say affects you in some way, as well as the people around you. Obviously, mentors. And those people that are fairly familiar with NLP 
know that you can use somebody's history, even if you don't know them. Your unconscious doesn't really know the difference between real and not real. And so obviously using mentors and in, in this process that we're talking about, you can use mentors from your past that have helped you achieve something. They are certainly an important tool of facilitating change. And it brings up to your awareness that you've had help before and there's nothing wrong with getting help again, that you can create a mentor that can help you make the changes that you want to make. And then, of course, just verbal affirmations can help. Now, any one of those may not do it. It's a combination of those tools. It's like building a house, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just one thing. You've got to have hammers and saws and all kinds of fancy equipment now that allow you to build a foundation, frame a house, you know, put the materials together, all that comes into play. Same with health. Think of all the different aspects of maintaining your body and mental health. It's not just one thing. So I think the verbal affirmations, the mentors, the systems, the timeline and the beliefs, supporting beliefs all go into making a change. Oh yeah. That's so awesome. And here's, you know, I'll admit a little secret is that when I'm meditating with the round table of my mentors, which that is a, that's something I learned from you in your class on meditation. Uh, Remind me what we call that class. Uh, The mind masters. The mind masters. Thank you so much. One thing that I still use to this day from your mind masters class is going down to meditate with, you know, I have a round table with my mentors and you actually have a power team. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so what I was saying is you you have a seat on my power team, actually, oh, wow. in my meditation. I'm honored. <laughs> you, yeah, you're there. Marcus Aurelius, some other people, Thomas Jefferson. But yeah, so I use, and this is what, when you brought this episode to me, I was really excited because with all of the tools you just listed, I, I use all of them frequently to implement change or even support some of the things that I already have ongoing with the exception of timeline. I've only done this actually practicing this procedure in your class when I took the NLP Master Practitioner Program. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to dive a little more into that process because it's a refresher for me. And and I think it's cool just in general. Um, Excellent. Excellent. So what you just discussed in terms of like verbal affirmations, mentor systems, and beliefs, I think those are pretty easy for the listener to grasp. But the timeline process, it's a little more involved. It's kinesthetic, dare I say, on some level, mm-hmm. um, as well as visualization and such. So what is the timeline installation belief procedure and just exactly how does it work? Okay. So what's interesting is there are a lot of different processes in NLP, a lot of different procedures and processes. And you can do a lot of things by just sitting there and imagining something. However, The more neurology you involve with a process, the deeper the level of change it's going to create. So one of the things that, especially in belief work, Robert Diltz does a lot of this is walking the timeline instead of just doing it inside your head. From a facilitator standpoint, it's a lot easier to calibrate people that way. And it's a lot easier for the person to really get the kinesthetic component of the timeline and what's going on there. So you use this process whenever you want a new belief to connect to a desired outcome or a goal. It creates this cause-effect relationship from the past to the future, which support a positive belief that the goal is achievable. So what I love about this exercise is not about achieving the goal. It's about creating the belief that the goal will happen. Because once that happens, then it accesses your capabilities and behaviors to do the things that you're going to need to do in order to make the goal or outcome happen. So when we have an outcome or a goal, we need a system of beliefs that are going to support it. We can have the positive beliefs, the affirmations, that's going to support motivation and confidence. 
the nice thing about beliefs is they create self-fulfilling prophecies because if you believe you can, you can. And if you believe you can't, you can't. They're self-organizing and therefore they support our goals and make it possible or not, depending on which direction the belief is pulling you. So it's necessary to have those supporting beliefs to achieve the goals. When we think of the neurological levels model, which we've talked about here earlier, your beliefs are going to trigger and mobilize those capabilities and behaviors. Limiting beliefs are going to stop us from using capabilities and stop us from taking the required steps. So that's one of the reasons I think timeline from the beliefs aspect on your timeline, you can establish a goal and then it provides that physical path from where you are to where you want to go. And you can see and experience the doubt or the interferences that you might have in the goal's achievement. And so going into this, if I may interject for a moment, sure. for this to work, do we ahead of time have to have had identified the limiting belief? Not necessarily. What's really interesting in this process, you're installing the belief. Mm. Here's the idea in NLP. If you don't have it, there must be something that stops or prevents you from getting it. And so many people have been on the path, right? They've been doing their step-by-step process and then get to a certain place and things fall apart or things stop working or, you know, all kinds of things happen as you probably have experienced in your life, like I have. We know that that's a limiting belief. We don't know what the belief is. But if you take the goal, you can create beliefs that or a system of beliefs that will support you getting that. And that will open up that self-organizing, self-fulfilling prophecy that will lead us to achieving what it is that we want to achieve. Does it? Does that answer your question there? It does. And, and even further, I think, then, it, this is more of a move toward process by installing something that we want to have, that we want to install in a belief that will support our change or goal. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it is a very move towards process. It's one of the processes that I like to do at, say, an end of a weekend where Mm -hmm. people will be left with that feeling of, oh, yeah, of course I can do this. Yeah. So one of the things that from a belief standpoint, remember that beliefs are either cause effect relationships or they're meaning relationships. But for a goal to take place, a person has to believe that the goal is possible. That's the first thing. Then they have to believe it's achievable. They also have to believe that they deserve it. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of worth to that and that it's worthwhile to get. So those three things have to be in belief system structure. So a person is you know, before they even step on the timeline, they're going to take those beliefs on. They're going to think of their goal. My goal is possible. It's easy and achievable. That goal, whatever it is, is a part of me and I deserve it. Then they're going to step on the timeline in the present and face the future. And they're going to walk out to their goal. And so what's really interesting is when you walk the timeline like that, you can really feel it as you get closer and closer, how that goal becomes more and more real. It feels more and more like, oh, people can tell, oh, I'm at the goal. And your facilitator, if they're a good calibrator, they'll be able to see it also. They'll see it when a person actually just steps into achieving it. Calibratively, it's there. But What's interesting about the process is once you take those beliefs on about the goal, then you walk up the timeline step by step. In other words, what are you doing along the way? Where are you? Who are you? And just to notice that is there any resistance to any of this as you move up the timeline and make sure that it's ecological. You know, sometimes we go for things or we want to create a belief that 
is not ecological or that somehow doesn't preserve the positive byproducts or the value for what it's going to give us. And so we want to make sure that those things are taken care of as we're moving into the future. So it's not just the person leaves the present and walks right into the goal. You know, no, they take step by step by step. And to see, to get an idea, is there any resistance here? Is there anything that I have to deal with? Is it ecological? Does it preserve, you know, the purpose for what I want it? So those are things that are really important in the process. Yeah, I love that you brought up calibration as the calibrator, because I think initially, as you're, you know, speaking with the person, what came to my mind in terms of asking, is the goal or change, is it believable, achievable, worthy, and worthwhile? As they're answering those things, you're you're probably trying to calibrate them, right? If they're confident in their answer, their body language matches up, because there in that you might identify a limiting belief as the calibrator. Sure, absolutely. And people will say, well, well, I'm just saying this. Well, because mm. they may not have the belief system yet that gives them the support that they need for the goal. So in some respects, it says to take it on, but it won't be totally congruent until they finish. Yeah, gotcha. It won't be totally congruent until they finish. That's been my experience. Now, mm -hmm, other people mm -hmm. out, out there in the NLP world may have different experience, but I've always found that, you know, when you take on the belief, it's like trying it on, right? Like trying on a shirt or something. You haven't bought it yet. You're just making sure that it fits, <laughs> <laughs> if you can analogize it that way. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Did you have anything else there? Well, I just wanted to, for the listener as well, just really help create a visual for this process. So in this, you know, let's say you are facilitating it. Um, I would be the person going through the timeline. I mean, you're talking about literally, let's say in front of my perspective or my POV, I'm visualizing a timeline from left to right, standing off of it, looking at it in front of me, right being toward the future. And then as you take me through this, I'm stepping physically into that timeline I was visualizing in the real world in front of me and walking forward physically on that line through this process, right? Exactly. Yeah. Nice cool. description. Yeah. Nice description. So now a lot of people, especially in the United States, their timeline runs through them. You know, their timeline, they might think, okay, my future's ahead of me, but my past is behind me. Well, think of it this way. Even if you're standing, you're, you're in present time, right? And you're, you're always in your timeline anyway, if your timeline runs through you, which is called in time, by the way. If your timeline runs through you, when you step off the timeline, the timeline's going to be in front of you. And so then, generally speaking, to your right is going to be your future, to your left is going to be the past. So that's how that's how you would organize it for this process. In case people out there are thinking, well, my timeline runs in front of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. if you step off of it and go meta or be an observer of it, then the timeline runs in front from left to right. So let's go ahead and we've been we've gone into the future step by step making sure that all the values uh, all the purpose is being maintained that any positive byproducts make sure that the person is describing what who they are i am as if they were in present tense because you're walking up the timeline now each step is still an i am you want to make sure that if you're facilitating, you're listening to the person there saying, I will. No, I am right now. Because if I walk out into my future, I am in my future. <laughs> so I am right there. I'm not in the present. I'm in, mm. I'm wherever I am. Yeah, that's a nuanced detail, but it's probably important. It is. It's very, very important that the person who's facilitating listens to make sure that whoever they're guiding is answering those questions into the future to the goal as I am. Mm -hmm. So then when they step into the goal, they want to fully experience it in all senses. 
in an associated position. So they're experiencing the goal, reaching the goal. They're looking out their eyes and their body, feeling their feelings, hearing hearing what they're hearing in through their ears. Then what you're going to do after that happens and you get a full representation of actually achieving the goal, you're going to walk back on the timeline to the past. And this is the really cool This is, I just, I love this process, just like you do, Jane. (laughs) It's such a cool process because, you know, people in the present, they kind of forget that they've had some great experiences and great achievements that are going to support you getting this. So they walk back and they find positive experiences that support capabilities and beliefs needed to accomplish the goal. And you can anchor these verbally by having the person just use a code word. And they don't even have, say, for instance, is a business goal, right? It doesn't have to be achieving a business goal in the past. It could be graduating from college, getting your master. So it could be educational. It could be an award you got. It could be uh, winning a spelling bee, for crying out loud. It could, you know, be having a family, having their first kid. That usually is a major experience in people's lives. It could be experiences from childhood unexpectedly getting invited to do something special. And Hmm. I remember one one of these experiences that I've used over the years, and it's it happened when I was very very young, but it. And I, I remind myself of it. In fact, the doll, even though it's falling apart, is, st- is still in my office and reminds me that even if I think I can't have something, I can have it. And years ago, back in the old days, folks, pioneer days, there was electricity, but <laughs> not much else. Anyway, so what happened was we used to walk to school. You know how that is, James. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, maybe not. You know, no, yeah, five yeah, miles each way up the hill in a snowstorm <laughs> all year long. Right. We joke about that because that was kind of the, you know, the experience. Our parents would say, oh, we used to walk miles to school in a blizzard, you know, so <laughs> quit complaining. Well, anyway, we did have to walk. I think it was, I think it was about a mile, but as a child, I don't really, re- you know, it seemed like a long way because our legs are shorter. But in the right about halfway was a little grocery store. It was a precursor to the 7-Elevens, although they had more stuff. It was a little neighborhood grocery stores, which they don't have anymore. And it was just a tiny little thing. It had a little meat market. They didn't have packaged meats, you know, back there. You just went to the meat counter and you bought meat. They had canned goods and not, I don't think they had a lot of fresh things, but I, I don't really remember too well because we were always fixated on the penny candy Mm -hmm. at the counter at christmas uh during the holidays they would get two toys for sale they were they were big and they'd put them over the the counter when you checked out and one of them would be a toy for a girl and one of them would be a toy for a boy and one year they had a princess and doll and it was you know it's about i don't know maybe three feet tall. I mean, it was a big doll. It wasn't some little thing. Right. And I wanted that doll. Oh my gosh. I just, I saw it and instantly wanted it. And, you know, I looked at how much it was and I knew that that was expensive. It was like, you know, back in the old days, it was $22. Well, back, back in the old days, that's a lot of money. That's spendy. Yep. And when you have two brothers and a sister younger than you, you know, things get divvied out, you know, between the four of us. So, you know, we didn't grow up in great wealth. So I wanted the doll, but I didn't ever say anything to anybody because I knew I couldn't have it. And then the doll disappeared one day and I was just heartbroken. Somebody bought it, obviously, but my dad had bought it and he, it was underneath the tree and James that I go back to all the time. And I go, you know, even when things look bleak, I go, no, things like that can happen. It was like a miracle. Yes. <laughs> you know what what I mean? a wonderful so I story. That was a very young experience. And I'm, you know, I, I apologize to the, our audience to going into that detail, but I think a lot of people have experiences like that, that they kind of discount 
Right. It's all, it's okay to have some magical thing that happened to you in order to support the belief that you want something else. And uh, so I would suggest that you use them. I mean, it doesn't have to be as long as you can remember it. It does not have to, to be something that happened to you as an adult. So you're anchoring those. If, if you're working with someone, they can anchor it with a code word or, and or a shoulder anchor. And you can also identify mentors, significant others that helped you along the way, that supported you. I've, I've had a lot of help. I don't know about you, James, but I've had a lot of help over the years with people who have taken me under their wing for whatever reason. I don't know. I can't, I couldn't even begin to name it, but for some reason they saw something that they thought they needed to help me with and cultivate in me. So, yeah. Then the other thing about this is you're walking back. If there are negative memories that don't support that goal, just step over them or around them. You don't have to give them any energy at this point. So when you go into the past experience, you want to write these down, have your partner write them, you write down the code word. And then once you have, I think I usually ask people to get four or five. That's a pretty good number. Then they're going to walk up the timeline. And as they look into the future and give the code word, step over any for any of the experiences, step over any negative or non-supportive experience and take all of those into the goal location. And you can use any anchors. Yeah, go ahead. Do you have them say the code word as you are moving back forward in the timeline? I think it's a good auditory anchor. Uh -huh. I think it's a good auditory anchor. And it also helps your facilitator remember them also. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then you're taking all of those resources and just experience, fully experience that goal with all of those resources. I guarantee it's going to feel different out there. And then you can actually just integrate the goal in future pace with your partner conversationally, you know, asking them, well, what's this like now? You know, how is it different? These sorts of things so that you can get that integration with those resources. But you're not actually going for goal achievement. You're using those resources to create a belief that says this goal is going to happen. Hmm. It is possible for me. It's achievable. I deserve this and it's, it's worthwhile. So that's, that's the process It's a great little process that you could do. Now, here's an idea for those of you that don't have anyone to work with is you could actually use, you know, kinesthetic anchors to do this if you wanted to, it wouldn't be quite the same. And if you're really good at walking the timeline yourself, because some people are, it's a great little process that can help you achieve some of the things that you want to achieve, but feel like you're spinning your wheels. Mm, excellent. So to round it out, as you're taking the person back through the timeline, you're returning to the current position or the present, shall I say. So you yes. return them to the present, use it, utilizing their words, their auditory words that um, symbolized their powerful or impactful moments or mentors from the past. And once you return them there, you just ask them those questions about how they feel about their goal now. And then you speak in terms of like, can you see now with these things in place, how your goal, you would ask them questions and speak to them in that way. Yeah. Yeah, you can okay. speak to them or ask them questions or just say, how much more possible is it? How mm. much more? It just, you just want to make sure that the person, you know, is talking about the goal now in fully experiencing it with all these resources are, they're congruent. Oh, uh, okay. And they usually are. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how when they step into that future goal again, how different it is for them. Mm. Well, you know, Susan, I don't know if you recall, we've had a conversation a few moons back and uh, I was seeking a little bit of your guidance and counsel in terms of some things that were going on with my company and having some issues, definitely feeling some stress and some pressure. And you, and you actually said that to me, what you said was, and maybe you remember this or not, but you said you're just in time. And we had a little bit of conversation about that. And after that, I did visually step out of time 
and look at everything that was that I'm going through that was that was happening and transpiring and looked at big picture and zoomed out and looked forward and backward. And what that really did for me was it really brought me to peace with just everything that was going on in the company and what may or may not happen. It really did quell a lot of stress and pressures that I was just perceiving and, and kind of putting myself under. Yes, exactly. That's like a an adjunct process to this. And essentially, the belief installation procedure is you're doing it on the timeline by walking back the timeline. But you can also, this is kind of a quick way of doing something because you are, in a way, when you do this, you, even though you're on the timeline, you're going through time. And when people get, and I think we've talked about this before, but you know, maybe we ought to talk about it again sometime and remind people. What happens is we get in time, which means that we're in the timeline, we're in the event. And it's oftentimes so big, especially if it's negative, that we can't see our way out of it. We just, it's kind of like, I don't know if this has ever had, it's kind of like treading water. But it's also like getting caught in an eddy where you you just keep circling around, circling around. That's sometimes when you're in a not so useful experience where you don't seem to be making any traction. That's mm. oftentimes what it feels like. Stepping off the timeline, immediately it starts to shrink when you look at it from the third position, uh, which is meta for all you NLP people out there, <laughs> meta position that all of a sudden that event isn't as big because you're looking at in the context, in relationship to all, you know, your past and your future. And then you can see, you can look in the past and go, oh, I've gotten through this before. Maybe the names and the places and the faces have changed. Maybe it's a little bit bigger ball game, but it's still, I've still proven to myself over and over again that I can pull the, I'm using a lot of analogies today, <laughs> pull the rabbit out of the hat. You know, I can still do this. And that even can be a great precursor to this exercise. And then going back on the timeline and picking those experiences out to create that supporting belief system so that you can move forward again and go out into the future. There's so many things in NLP that really assist people in getting to where they want. You know, sometimes I'll ask a person to go out six months from now and look back because now they cannot be in the experience. They have to be looking back and how they got out of it. You mm -hmm. know, the human psyche, we know it changes where things are always changing. Things don't stay the same. Getting a larger perspective, as you call it, the bigger picture can really, really help. And sometimes that's time where you, you know, this is the as if frame, right? But the time frame where you go out and look back and you see that things are going to change. You just want to direct the change in the way that will be the best for you. Right. Yep. And, you, you know, know, you said that NLP is great at uh, helping you get where you want to go. And I would take that even further and say that it's actually, it's even better at getting you what you want in the way that yeah. sometimes you think that you, you want to go somewhere or want something. And through the practice of NLP or implementing some processes or some systems, sometimes you realize that's not what you really wanted all along. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's so interesting. There's just so many buttons that got pushed mm -hmm. there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, where you have the outcome that you want, go back to the outcome, go back to the outcome podcast. You know, it has to meet those well-formative conditions or achievable conditions. It's got to be realistic. It's got to be self-initiated and maintained. It's got to be sensory-based. It's got to be stated in the positive. And we get tripped up so many times from the linguistic standpoint that it's one or more of those conditions haven't been met which makes it almost impossible to achieve something. And it started with how you languaged it. You know, so mm -hmm. sometimes people, I, I work with people who will, you know, they want somebody else to change. And I want to have this conversation. I want this other person to feel a certain way. Well, okay, the way you're saying it, it's not going to happen because you're 
you can't control how other people feel and how, what other people do. Right. You know, it's got to be something that you can control. And that's your behavior and your communication thought process. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot to this. And that's one of the reasons that I say that NLP is a system for understanding human beings. It's not just beliefs. It's not just timeline. It's not just anchoring. It's not just language. It's all of that put together in a model that helps create positive change. So, yeah. And, you know, just as a parting thought, at least from my point of view, I think, you know, I, I never really want to tell anyone that they have to do something. However, I think eliciting, discovering what your true beliefs and values are is critical. At least it was for me because I had some goal pursuits in my life that were really red herrings. Uh, wow. It was what I thought I valued or I thought, you know, the presupposition to my pursuit of this goal was something I really wanted. But in fact, it really, it wasn't, it wasn't satisfying what I truly was seeking that aligned with my true values, my belief identity statements I had about myself and, or maybe some limiting beliefs about my identity or maybe thoughts of inadequacy and things of that nature. So I think for me, just as you said, with regard to Robert Dilts identifying, you know, the hierarchy or putting labels, uh, you mm -hmm. know, because none of NLP is really reinventing the wheel, if you will. It was merely just identifying systems that already exist, almost like mathematics. Yes. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, I think it's a unique way of integrating a whole, mm -hmm. right? A whole human being and a whole system. So yeah, absolutely. I personally think it's brilliant, but I'm a little bit. <laughs> you might be biased. Yeah, I might maybe. be a little biased there. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and recap real quick, and then we'll be out of here. So we first talked about the difficulty in making changes. What's difficult about it? We discussed how beliefs are important in making changes. We talked about some of the important tools like verbal affirmations, mentor system, timeline, and beliefs to support the goal. And that's what the belief installation process is all about. And we talked about how it works, that process. And then we actually went through the process and described in step-by-step -step how it all works. So I wanted to mention also, James, that uh, just in passing, that I am going to, actually this weekend, the 12th and the 13th of November, I'm doing a Zoom training on the NLP basics. So if anyone is interested, you can go to my website, www.nlptrainingconcepts.com, and there's a phone number there. Just call me, leave a message, and I'll be happy to talk with you about it if it's something you're interested in. The full weekend, and it is actually the first weekend of the Mastery in NLP course that I teach the second weekend will be in January. And that is a, a year process where you end up with a master certification and the entire system of NLP, not just bits and pieces of it, like so many people end up with, you'll get the entire system. So, and it is Zoomable as well as in person if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or in Texas where you can jump in a car. Of course, you know how big Texas is. It's you don't jump in the car and then an hour later someplace else. You jump in the car and three days later, you can still be in Texas. So <laughs> yeah. Texas is a big place. But I wouldn't want to be anyplace else, actually. I heard this someplace the other day. Somebody says, I just love the two countries, the United States and Texas. <laughs> Those are my two favorite countries. That's good. I think it's kind of funny. It's a joke, folks. It's not, it's not real. We're not a oh, country. Gosh. <laughs> so anyway, well, James, thank you so much. And oh, it was a pleasure. Yeah, this is fun. And James has expressed an interest in doing some more of these. So we're happy to have him back. Morgan and I will be doing a couple. We already have our topics. So I look forward to having you listen to them. And as always, please feel free to comment. You can actually go to my website and just fill out a form and if you have any comments about the podcast or anything that you would like to hear us talk about. So thank you, James. Oh, yes. It, oh, oh, oh. I, I know you're outroing us, though. And in fear of maybe taking this too long, I really wanted to close the loop. If you remember, I started this conversation off by saying I, I did end up quitting coffee. 
And I was going to share with you how. Okay, so I'll make this super fast. So what I used was the intermittent reward system. So I bought a little jar and I bought 50 marbles. I used 34 white marbles and 16 black marbles, basically at about a a 25% ratio of black to white. And so every day I, and oh, I set up a reward too. So I want, but do not need to buy a nicer camera for videography and photography. I don't need it, but I sure would like it. So that's my gift to myself. If Ah. I can do this over six months. All right. So I have my gift. And then every day that I don't drink coffee, I get to basically gamble. I get to pull a marble from the jar. And so if (laughs) I pull a black marble, I put a certain dollar amount toward my camera. And if I pull a white marble, well, obviously I don't get anything. So I basically using gambling <laughs> to help oh, me to quit my- One uh, addiction so, for another. <laughs> that's right. So it's <laughs> there's actually studies and data behind this. It is called the intermittent reward system. If you wanted to look it up, I actually use it on my kids in, in a different way. They have like a blind bag thing, but nonetheless- that actually worked. So I'm about 23 days in and believe it or not, folks, I've only have five black marbles that I've pulled, but it worked and uh, it may not work for you. It worked for me, but it was like something that I thought I'd try. And, uh, and there you have it. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> How funny. That just seems really complicated to me, but you know, every that's why there's so many things out there for people to use to help change their change their behaviors. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you, James. It's great well, to, you. to speak with you. And thank you all for listening. And we will catch you the next time. Thank you for listening to the Brain Language Podcast. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or your favorite listening platform to keep up with our newest episode. Be sure to visit our website, www.nlptrainingconcepts.com and find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching NLP Training Concepts to keep up with free resources, upcoming training, and fantastic content. Thank you for joining us and taking our minds to the next level. We'll see you next time.